Okay, so new bracha. Yeah, so exciting. Okay, so we're going to try and do this bracha in two sessions because I don't want to stop at the summer in the middle. Baruch Atah Hashem. You are the source of all bracha. You are right here, imminently before me, wherever I am. You are the eternal, past, present, future, above time, loving creator of the universe. You are master of all forces and the king of the universe. She'asa li kol tsarki. Now, I don't know what your nosach is. There are a few slight variations to this nosach. What does your bracha say? So mine is Ashkenazi. It says she'asa li kol tsarki. Okay, yeah, that's a typical Ashkenazi. That's the most uh, common one. There are a few variations to that, like tweaks. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Baruch Hashem. We're starting the new bracha. Okay. Okay. So the Gemara in Brachos, Daf Samech, says, Kisayim Masane. It's a good thing I have sons to help me vowelize Aramaic. Kisayim Masane. When a person finishes tying his shoes, Lema, he should say, She'asa li kol Thank you, God, Sha'asali, who made for me, kol, all, tsarki, my needs. Tsarki is tsorech shali. Okay. Now, right away you start, right? You start looking at, hmm. On the one hand, the simple meaning of this blessing is really obvious and very profound. Thank you, God, for making me everything I need. Everything, everything, everything I need. That's number one. That is definitely, that is the simple meaning. That is the deeper meaning of this bracha. There's, uh, you know, there's other things we will learn about it, but when you get right down to it, that is, the bracha is what it says it is, and that's what it means. Yeah. But there are little questions, like why is it she'asali, who made for me in the past tense? That's a little unusual for a bracha. Um, Generally, not always, most brachas are in the, continuing like present tense mm-hmm. not always like we said like shalom asani and shalom but generally speaking so that you, know, you notice that why do you have to finish putting on your shoes it's like when you tied your shoes not when you put your feet into the shoes it's when you've tied your shoes you should say this bracha so then you're like hold on rewind what was that Gamara just saying when I put my shoes on why are my shoes like, really, why my shoes? Like it should have been maybe like when you put your shoes on, say, Rokaha Aretz Alamayim, because you're going to walk on the ground. But what does is, what is putting your shoes on have to do with having everything you need? It's an interesting thing. Yeah. Like, because everything is being tied, right? The Gemara is tying each bracha to a physical experience. We talked about this. The physical experience is our window into the spiritual reality. Why the shoes? And Sarki, my needs. How come it's not universal? Why is it personal? My needs? Again, like, typically speaking, we tend to broaden our brachos out, usually, not always, but usually where we feel something, we experience something, and we're going to turn that into a bracha, good morning. We, we usually want to try and, like, crack it open a little more and include others in our bracha, not only ourselves. Um, so... Why, why only my needs? So if we start with these questions, I think we're going to open up like a, a world of understanding about our needs. Okay. So the first piece is, why is Sha'asali Kaltzarki associated with 
tying your shoes. Okay, that's that for me was always the hard part. Actually, I always got a little stuck on that. And the answer is essentially, it's right down to my shoes, like from head to toe. In other words, you made everything I need all the way down to the very lowest, the very smallest detail. So the shoes are all the way at the bottom of us, and we're saying thank you, God, for providing everything I need, right down to the very last drop. So it's detailed gratitude. It's two things. It's the smallest thing we're grateful that we're taking care of in every way, and it's also expressing almost, in a way, a small thing. This is Rav Pincus's approach, right? You're really like thanking God for your shoelaces, because it's when you tie your shoes. It's not even the shoes, right? Is the smallest thing. Like when Avraham was offered, all the, when he had all the loot from Sodom, and he said, I won't take even not a thread, not even a shoe strap. Right? So a shoe strap is kind of an example of something very, very small. Obviously, there's a connection there that's deeper as well. Like, why did Avraham say a shoe strap? You know, not a handkerchief. But the shoe strap is an example of the detail of something very, very small and not of high value. So when we're thanking God especially, but thanking anyone, thank for the details. Okay? I've probably shared this before. There's somebody who used to come to our house very often on Shabbos, and he would send postcard thank you notes afterward. And he came a lot, and he would send my mom a thank you note like every time he came, and it was detailed. And my mom would say, Sarah, that's how you write a thank you note. She's like, read this. You have to see this so you know how to write a thank you note. Because it would say the meal was so delicious and the atmosphere of you know, the guests that you invited was so friendly and the different selection of wines and drinks and the colors on the plate. And my mother really did think about that. <laughs> she really did worry about like, oh, it's going to be so bland if everything's gray or brown or beige. Like she would put color in the plate. It'd say the colors on the plate and the flavor of the tabbouleh and the... Like, he would really, really detail everything. And I said, that's how you think. Because if you say thanks for everything, it's thanks for nothing. It, I mean, people really do put effort into thinking. We all do it. You do put effort into thinking. And when someone notices that, it's nice. It's nice. They really notice that you did it. So when we're thanking God, we're thanking even for a shoe strap, even something little. So that is, that is like a, a beginning. There's also an element of humility to that. There's a humility... If you've ever had a shoe that had a broken strap, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you're put together and you look great. And you can hardly walk. You can be brought down by something really low. So there's a humility that comes also of being grateful for the little stuff. Because you realize it's not so little. Everyone who, who looks like they're riding high and everything's going well and they've got it all under control on some little thing, like a shoelace. Mm -hmm. And um, next thing you know... Very hard to cope. I was once out with some friends, and my shoe fell apart. <clears throat> like, the heel disintegrated oh, as gosh. I was walking. And you feel like the biggest schlamazel. You're not walking properly. Everyone's staring at your feet, and you're, you feel like just a... a right. In meantime, you could yeah. be dressed in great clothes, I know. and no, your makeup's I, right. I and wanted to just bury myself in the ground. Like, I couldn't... Uh, yeah. So this is, it's, but these experiences are great lessons. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can feel them again, and then you can appreciate, Hi. right? Then you have, like, a new appreciation. Hello. Hi. Okay. But there's another, there's, there's something deeper to it than this, and we have an indication of this in the halacha. So 
there's the Gemara states, and this is brought into the halacha. A person, a person is obligated to sell all his other possessions in order to be able to afford to buy a pair of shoes. Seriously? Yeah. Now, I, like, if this would come to like your situation, call a rav. Like, find out what that means. Right, right, right. There's obviously going to be some guidelines on that. Like, is all your possessions, all of your possessions? What if they're also your husband's possessions? What if, you know, how expensive do your shoes have to be? So hopefully we won't become, come down to having to make this kind of choice. But if someone were push come to shove, more important than their other possessions would be to have shoes. Okay, now, that means that there's something important about shoes beyond what we said. Because if it was just about being able to walk correctly and like not feel stupid, but that would also apply if like, I don't know, you know, your sweater unraveled. Mm -hmm. Like why, you know, so why are we focused on the shoe? There must be something about the shoe. So we have to take a step back. And we've done this many times in other areas. What does a shoe mean? What does it mean to wear a shoe? Mm -hmm. Okay, so a shoe is something, it's called a na'al, right? Na'al is the word to lock. A manul is a lock, right? Lin oletadelet, lock is to lock the door. Naal is a lock. Okay, so a naal is a lock. And by the way, because a naal is a lock, there's all kinds of interesting halachas about what is defined as a as a shoe versus, let's say, a sandal, which is what we'd call a sandal, right? So a shoe has to wrap around the foot. It's interesting, right? A shoe, like a literal definition of a shoe in Chumash, then, is something that wraps around the foot. Actually, according to the Dasa Kenim, it doesn't even have to only wrap around the foot. Something that wraps around a hand might also be called a na'al. That, yeah, that was an interesting, that's, uh, it's learned out from the fact that Hashem specifies, like to Moshe and to Yoshua, take your shoe, take your shoes off of your feet. Why does Hashem say to take your shoes off your feet? Say, take off your shoes. Where else are you going to take them off of? Where else would you take them off of? The only reason you'd say specify the feet is if there's some other kind of na'al that isn't on your feet. So the Das Kenim says from that, you can see that a na'al can be a glove, which is interesting. Like the example he gives is in Rus, say for Rus, but we're already post-Shavuos. But in Rus, it says that Boaz and uh, the Goel, you know, the, the relative, and then one take, they each take off their na'al and hand it to each other. And, you know, like nowadays you'd use, I don't know either, they even use yarmulkes, use a handkerchief. They used to use handkerchiefs. Now nobody carries a handkerchief. Guys will swap a yarmulke as a way of like being, uh, making a deal, making a business deal in halacha. You have to sometimes hand something over, but like you can take your shoe off. That's like stranger, right? It would make sense to take something off that doesn't require touching your feet. And like, and so he says it's weren't touching their feet. It was something on their hand. That's an interesting concept. Okay. We're definitely not going down that track because there's very little that I know about it. But a shoe is the thing that when you put it on, you're ready to move through the world. That's what a shoe is. Now, it sounds silly, like, yeah, okay, I know what a shoe is. But when we take that step back and we give a higher level definition of something, we start to understand the meaning of it. So a shoe is something that once it's on, you're ready to move through the world. And that kind of tells you something because a shoe protects your feet from the earth, from the world. And you can move through the world because now your feet have some extra strength. They're girded for the day. 
and they're also separating you from the world. So there's, here's one of these interesting things, you know, we'd call it an interface point. And at interface points, we, it's not unusual for us to find that there are barriers that both protect and connect. A shoe connects us to the earth, and a shoe also protects us from the earth. It separates us from the earth. Okay. There's a book called Praying with Fire. Have you seen this? Okay. So in Praying with Fire, is a great, great visual. It says, imagine that every morning you open your eyes and you wake up and there's a suitcase next to your bed. And every morning it's a new, another suitcase. And packed into the suitcase is everything, all the equipment you need, the money, the tools, the clothes, the qualities, the strengths, the weeks, everything you need is packed in this suitcase. So every day you wake up, open the suitcase, and you take what's in it, and you head out for your day, and you know that your crack, you know, Mossad uh, team has stocked your mission case for the day. So now you're ready to go, right? That's what we're supposed to think about. Is the example it gives. God, you have made me everything I need. This morning, I woke up, I put my shoes on, I am now ready to head out into the world, and I know that my suitcase is packed with everything I require. That's like a very, very deep concept in a very, very simple image. And a fun image, because like, you know, you could be the secret agent heading out, but it's a very real image too. If we would think when we get dressed in the morning and then you put the shoes on, especially women, we always put the shoes on really, really last because they're not even comfortable. You put the shoes on and you're ready and you think, I'm ready. I have everything I need. I may think I don't have everything I need yet, I may think today is the day I'm spending trying to get what I need. It's not true. Everything I need for this day is packed into the suitcase and ready to go. I love that image. Love it. All right. Why is it singular and not plural? Why tsarki and not tsarkenu? Or sha'asala adam kol tsarko? All of man's needs, you know. Okay. So the approach that Rav Schwab takes and I saw something very similar with Rav Chaim Kanievsky. The way Rav Chaim puts it is, he says, because everyone has different needs. It's my needs. I can't talk about anybody else's needs because my needs are different. Every single person has a different suitcase contents. They have a different packing list. So I'm thanking God for what I know, and what I know is not universal. What I know is only about me. Because I may think I need what's in the other person's suitcase, but I don't. Everything I need is packed into my briefcase. Okay, so that's piece number one. But the way Rav Schwab takes it is an interesting and important Musser step. I'm only allowed to thank God for providing all of my needs. I'm not allowed to thank God for providing all the needs of someone else. Because when I look at someone else, I need to think that they are missing and that I can do for them. I'm not allowed to look at the other person who feels they have a lack and say, no, no, but God has provided everything you need. Don't worry, you're fine. No, I have to think, how do I try and fulfill their need? It's a great example of how the other person's physical is my spiritual. But isn't that part of being a community that we need each other? That's so, right. I mean, we do need to fill it. No, it's not that everything we wanted, everything we needed. I mean, not wanted, doesn't mean need, but whatever. It could be that your friend has some of that in their bag, and you're, they're supposed to share with you, and that's why you reach out to But that's them. their avoda. 
I'm saying that's their avodah. You know you have what you need. Truth is, we're going to talk about the idea that a tzarech is not exactly the same as a choser, as a lack. Tzarech is what I need. It's what I actually require. Choser is feeling that I'm lacking something. But that's gonna, we're going to talk about that in Baruch Shamar. Really, everything, everybody is dependent. Everybody has things that they're missing, like you said, being a community. It's like a puzzle. Every, everybody has pieces that go in and need to be filled by the pieces that come out from other people. That is true. But Hashem has provided it. I don't, I don't need to feel like, oh, well, if only that person had, given, had shared with me, then I would have. God, God has his ways to provide, right? So when it's something I need to do for someone else, then that's my avoda opportunity. So I shouldn't be looking at someone else and saying, well, he has everything he needs. If he doesn't have it, it must be he doesn't need it. God, God didn't want him to have it, right? <laughs> I'll give it to him. I try and provide for him, right? But I, I shouldn't be happy with his lot, but I should be happy with my lot. If I feel that I'm missing something, I can stop and say, maybe I'm not really missing it. Maybe the fact that it's missing is what I needed. You know, we do have those experiences. We feel we're missing, and through the missing, we grow from that, and we become somebody different. And we realize that if we had had it, we would have been worse off than if we didn't have it. We don't realize that in the moment, but you look back later and you say, you know what? If I had had what I wanted, Rabbi Left told uh, a story, he didn't give too many details, I think, but um, Rabbi Left told a story of a family that they were, for many, many years, they were childless, and they wanted very much to have children. and Eventually they adopted, but I don't, I don't understand. Like I, he, he was clearly not sharing the whole story. But he was kind of saying that the way that they adopted was not right. I don't know if it was how the adoption went or if it was where they were coming from inside of themselves. You know, he was saying, like, these are good people, but it wasn't coming. I don't know. I don't know what the story was. He said, the agmas nefesh they had from those children, the terrible, terrible situations those children ended up in and brought their parents in and he said like maybe they thought they needed something they didn't need it was a terrible thing now we're not that means to say I mean there's a lot of babies out there who really need homes you know <laughs> there are babies who need to be taken care of and not only babies there are also adults and there are children and there are people who need to be adopted the point wasn't anti-adoption his point was sometimes we do something because we feel so badly that we need it and it's sometimes what we needed was the need. So we have to try and at least make ourselves a little more flexible about what it means to need. I don't know, sometimes we get so into like, I need to have it, and then nothing can get us off the track of trying to pursue it. And, and maybe we've lost the definition of need. What, do, what does need mean? I need this for what? Like I said, a need is not a choser. A need is something I actually require in order to be able to function. When I say tzarki, my needs, a need is something I require to function. Sometimes, sometimes the reason we need that thing to function, it's not because we need that thing. It's because we need a coping mechanism to deal with need. Right? I, I feel like if I don't have this, I can't function. Maybe the issue that I need to be working on is not getting that thing. Maybe the thing I need to be working on is how do I cope with feeling that I need? 
Why is it that I can't function without something? Now, when you really need to function, Ramchal says, if there's something you actually need for whatever the reason is, then you should try and use it. You shouldn't try and hold yourself back from it. We need to restrain ourselves from the physical world, but not in the things that we need. He's very, very, he comes out very strongly against, um, oh, we talked about this, right? Against like people who afflict their bodies um, you know, by, by overly fasting or overly like, denying their bodies what they actually require and think that it will make them holier. He says that's not correct either. We need to have precious. He actually says this about precious, which is holding back and restraining from the physical world, is where he says, but, but intelligently, not stupidly. You don't deny your, yourself what you actually require to function. All right. Now, there is another layer of shoes, which is srara, which means dominion or power. Why is there a level of power with shoes? Sin, it's like Sarah, like my name is Sarah, oh, okay. but with two races, Sarara. So Sarah <coughs> is like a, a female, we say princess, because you could say Sarah is a prince, but Sarah is like an officer. This is somebody who has power. So Sarah is a feminine form of that. Sarara mm-hmm. is the ability to dominate. Domination. So shoes, in allowing us to walk on the world... You know, we have these ideas in the English idiom, stepping all over someone, mm-hmm. right? It means like you're dominating them, you're using them, right? You're putting them down and you're higher. Okay, so domination, which in some ways can be a good thing, but is a very, very risky thing. Because a feeling of domination that I dominate over <coughs> any other creation, a very fine line between Srara and Gaiva, <laughs> right? And thinking I'm the one who matters and you don't matter so much. Somehow I matter more than other people. Okay, so, for example, the Vilnagon says, why do we say she'asa li kol tsarki about shoes? Because shoes are an ultimate example of dominating the world. Why are shoes an example of dominating the world? So one of the halachic definitions of a shoe, we said one of them is that it encloses the foot. One of them is that it's made of leather. Right? So like on Yom Kippur and Tisha B'av, where we don't wear shoes... We don't wear shoes made of leather, right? Shoes that are not made of leather, we don't really call that shoes. That's not a now. A now is leather. What's leather? Leather is animal skin. So here you have, like, the ultimate, that's the, like the highest level of domination in the world. We work the land. We break it up. We develop on it. We grow things on it, right? We take some of it, and we eat it. We feed it to animals. We take animals. We eat animals. Right? We use them, and not only that, we slaughter them, we eat the meat, we take their skin and step on it, and call that our shoes. That is a kind of domination. God said, I'll give you the world, and you're going to dominate it, and you're dominating it. Back to the, I, I'm not going into the hand thing, but, you know, even plants and stuff have these defense mechanisms, and That's right. thorns and stuff. Yeah. You could imagine that they needed something to enclose their hands to somehow would ever cultivate the land. Oh, that's interesting. Could be. That's very that's interesting. Yeah. That's it. That is interesting. So the way the Vilna Gon brings it, not so surprisingly, because we now that we've started to learn a little bit that there's like the four levels of the world, so 
bringing in terms of domain, the inanimate, someach, that which grows, it has life, chai, that which is alive, like animals that can move themselves around, and medaber, the, right? So we don't dominate over medaber, but over domain, someach, chai, so these are things that we dominate, and the shoe is like the ultimate example of, of, dominate, of saying, I'm using you. I'm using this world in order for, to make my own progress. I want to go somewhere, and therefore the world is going to serve me. Okay. Yeah. A concept, more, maybe more related to the idea of shoes as a need, that I heard from somebody who had been um, incarcerated, that after their time in prison, that they really had a different perspective on Shasuli Kosarki, because in prison, it's like the whole, there's like a whole money system. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with it. It's like you get money based on like labor, little jobs that you do, and not you get get to use the money in like little store. And one of the first things that everyone tries to buy is shoes. They do not get shoes. They get little like slippery booty things, and that's like the first thing that everyone wants to buy. Wow. So um, and it's it's pretty expensive. It's like I don't know six dollar. I don't know what I don't remember the number, but it was like a pretty high amount because they get very little amounts of money for their little jobs. And um, it's very interesting that the system, the prison system, has chosen shoes to be something that they have to buy. Yeah. And and sometimes people will, you know, will need it, like they'll give it to their friend, like they they give it over to somebody, and it's like a very big present in prison to, to give over your shoes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Well, this was in California, yeah. Oh, wow. But I, I think it's probably... You know, it's federal prisons. It's not. It's not only California. I don't think Beverly Hills prison. Wow. They need better shoes. Is that so? Then that's the scary part. It's an aspect of humanity of being able to dominate. But this sounds like there's a kind of a deep-seated. Yeah, it sounds like it's a deep-seated sort of a of a vulnerability to feel that your feet don't have protection. Well, I guess so, because if your feet get hurt when you're walking around, and it wasn't unusual for people to go barefoot, especially in the summer, but when your feet are vulnerable and they do get hurt or they get an infection or you get a cut or a blister or whatever, you can't go anymore until it's better. You're really stuck. So something very small can have a very big impact. Wow. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. I hope not. <laughs> okay, now, this little piece from the Vilnagon, there's something similar also in the Siddur Shara Shemaim, gives us an answer to why this bracha is in the past tense, She'asali Kaltsarki, that God made me everything I require. Because the way the world was created, my son told me this, the way the world was created is that the earth was created first the domain, then the tzomeach, then the chai. It was all created already before I, human, arrived on the scene. It was all created already. And that's true for the first person, Adam and Chava, but it's also true for me, myself. Meaning, let's say I feel that I really need something, and maybe I really do need it. I mean, there's certain things we really need. Food, shelter, water, right? Sometimes medicines. If I really need it, it's already been created. God already made for me everything I need. That's also a reassuring thought. 
If it's something I really do need, then it was created already. This is a similar idea to the concept that HaKadosh Baruch Hu Maktim Rafuelamaka. Every every illness already has a cure. God creates the cure before he creates the illness. Right? It's there. It's there. So if I do feel that there's something that I need, then I don't have to worry that somehow it doesn't exist. Whatever I need has been created, and it has always been so. From the creation of the first person, everything we need has been created for us. Okay. So, shoes. When a person has shoes, he is prepared to go out and do stuff in the world. You don't have to just stay in. You can go out. I'm controlling myself. Not making snide comments about other people. Okay. So, here's a little known thing about shoes. You may have heard it. You may have not. The Medrash brings that when the brothers of Yosef sold him to the Ishmaelites, they received 20 zuz. That's the money. And what they do with the money? They divided it up and they all bought shoes. So they knew something about shoes that we didn't know. Why'd they buy shoes? Okay, so question number one. They didn't have shoes? Maybe there was a sale? Maybe there was a, Maybe the Israelites were selling shoes. Okay, could be. Yaakov was rich. I don't know if they had to buy their shoes on sale. He had his wares there. It's more than that. They're like swapping their brother for shoes, essentially. So what are you saying? They're dominating over him? Instead of yeah. Dominating over so number one is it's the domination. They are showing him he was coming with the dreams. That answer I heard from Rabbi Apter, who's the Rav in Santa Monica. Um, he said, he said, with the shoes representing this domination, they were reacting to Yosef telling them about the dreams where he said he's going to rule over them. Oh. So it's like, no, you're not going to rule over us. We are going to control you. And they sold his life away, and they bought shoes. Okay, I saw another explanation of this, which will help lead us into our our next topic, our next uh, aspect of this bracha. Actually, I heard this piece from my brother, Rabbi Shaf. which is this. We know that when Moshe arrived at the burning bush, Hashem said to him, remove your shoes. Take your shoes off of your feet because the land you are standing on is holy, is Kadosh. And when there was a malach that appeared to Yehoshua when the Jews first came into the land of Israel. And the malach said, and you mostly hear people, I have heard so many people, very educated rabbis, say this pasuk incorrectly. The malach tells him, shal na'alcha, take off your shoe, me'al raglacha. It's a singular, so it gets mixed up. It almost sounds like what happened with Moshe and Na. 
but it's it's singular, one shoe, one foot, and with Moshe, it's two shoes, two feet. Kleokar has an interesting explanation on that. We know that in the base Hamikdash, you don't wear shoes, right? Kohanim go around barefoot. You're not supposed to wear shoes. So here we're talking about how important shoes are, and then there's a whole experience of not wearing shoes. So that will be our topic in Mitzvah next week to understand better about the difference between wearing shoes and not wearing shoes and what that means to us. But just to take the beginning of it, the Ramban explains that when there is a revelation, wherever, wherever the Shechina is revealed, nigla. when the Shechina reveals God's holiness into the world, you're not allowed to wear shoes. So that's what was happening. Moshe is going to have a revelation, his nevuah from God. Hashem says, take your shoes off. Yoshua okay? is going to have a nevuah that's going to come from the Malach. The Malach says, wait, hang on. Before we start, take off your shoes. Okay, there's going to be a revelation from God. Okay. The brothers were a unified group. Right? At the end of his life, when Yaakov was dying, he saw that the Shechina was present and his sons were all united. So the Shechina dwelt within the Jewish people and then they sold Yosef. And now there isn't the unity and they've come down a serious level and the Shechina left them. And this goes together with also Yaakov, Yaakov's distress, right? And he didn't have Nevuah all those years. Mm-hmm. The Shechina left them when they sold Yosef which one has to think must have been a non-encouraging turn of events. And so they went to buy shoes. Meaning they were walking around without shoes all the time. Or you said, didn't they have shoes? They didn't need shoes because the Shechina was present in their lives. They were Yaakov's children. The Shechina was just there. So they didn't wear shoes. Why is, it, why is the Shechina yeah, well, we will try and touch on that next week. That's the, next week, I hope to talk more about the when we do wear shoes and when we don't wear shoes, and if it's holy or not to wear shoes, right? So how come we're wearing shoes? Yeah, like, and then when the kids come to the shop and without shoes, I'm like, no, no, no. You, you got to put shoes on, right? It's not mechubad. It's not, right. yeah, no, and you're right. So there's that. That I want to talk about that because I was also, at first, I was like, I told you I was like, had these questions. I was like, wait, how did I even talk about shoes then? If in some ways we keep talking about how important shoes are, and this is like a high-level thing to have shoes, and then on the other hand, we seem to be being told that, no, not wearing shoes, that would be a much higher level. So which is it? So that, that will be next right. week's and, topic in Mercedes. If I remember correctly, at the Mahona Mikdash, the museum in yeah. the old city, um, where they prepare everyone for the edu- they educate people about the base of Mikdash Hashlishi, then they... Uh, I think they said that we're not going to wear shoes in the base of Mikdash. Right, you don't wear shoes in the base of Mikdash. You're not allowed to wear shoes because there's revelation of Shechina there. Uh-huh. But none right. of the people, not only the Kohanim. Yeah, yeah. so the Kohanim all the time don't. Right. And they, they're the ones who are shoes. famous for it. But nobody can wear shoes, right? You leave your shoes out. You don't wear Which shoes Which is an in interesting Mikdash. concept also with regard to Tzniyas for women. Because, like, some, you know, the idea of toes and... I don't know. I thought the whole thing was very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. You can wear a longer skirt than your feet, don't you? Oh. It's not unusual in some countries that women don't wear something on their feet, but they have long, uh-huh. long enough really clothing long to cover it. <laughs> right. Gowns. Right. Okay. It's that the covering covering the foot itself. So foot is supposed to be covered, but but some parts of the foot 
it's a question of what's the das yehudis, like right. what's what is the halacha in the place you live based on what's the normal way of dressing. I, was just, I didn't know what they had done. Right, there's two parts to hilchas not in it, yeah. Or maybe it's yeah, not. You can't wear shoes. It's, you can wear socks or you can wear non-leather Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't think the Kahanam were running in Crocs. They no. clearly had, they had like special doctors to take care of the foot issues that could arise from spending, <laughs> spending the winter on a cold floor and bare feet. If they needed shoes, they'd be wearing them. The halacha wouldn't tell them not to wear it if they needed Right. So that's a good, that's a good way to, to explain it. That's a very good way to think about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that is really the core point. That is really the core point. And that, that's what I want to talk. I don't want to talk about that more next week, but yeah, you exactly hit on it. It has to do with which direction we're influencing and moving. Okay. So one last point, and then I want to just wrap up for this week. God has made me everything I need. The word tsarech really has two meanings. This is me saying it, but it's, I think it's pushed from the definition of the word. And there's other places where we have the same idea come up, so safe to say it here. A tsarech is a necessity. In other words, it describes both the fact that I need and the fact that I have what I need. Remember how we had, like with other brachas, we talked about malbi sharumim, right? God dresses the bear, or God frees the imprisoned, but they're imprisoned, right? Sha'asali kol tsarki means I have needs, and God is providing for the needs, but I have the needs. So I could read this bracha with two eyes, so to speak. With one eye, I could be saying, thank you, God, for making me have needs. Sha'asali kol tsarki means making me have all my needs. And with another eye, I could be reading this bracha, thank you, God, for making for me all of my necessities, all the requirements I have. You provided for them. Do you see how it can be read both ways? Could you do the first way again? Yeah. I could say, thank you, God, for making me, for making for me, for creating, right? For making for me cults are key, all of my needs, like my needinesses. Thank my, you for making me needy. Yeah. yeah. The, all the things that I need are things I don't have. Or sha'asali cults are key can mean who has made for me everything I need, meaning he's right. filling the need. You can read the bracha really either way. And that's important. Why? Because if we never got hungry, we would never appreciate that we had food. If we never got cold, we would never appreciate that we had a blanket or a sweater or central heating or a, you know, a comforter. If we never had a headache, we wouldn't appreciate the fact that there was Tylenol. If every need that we required in order to be able to function was preloaded into our day, we would never know we had had the need and that it was fulfilled. It's a little bit like there's a parak to Hillam, Hallelujah, Shem Kol Gayim, Shabachu, Kol Ha'umim. 
all the nations will praise God because his greatness overpowered us. Why are the nations praising God for the chesed for us? Because we don't even know all the tunnels they've dug. We don't even know all the missiles that didn't shoot off or that landed back in Gaza. We don't know all the plans that they had that didn't happen. Those are needs that we didn't even know we had the need, and God just took care of it. So the fact that we have hunger and then we eat, the fact that we have cold and then we put on a jacket, means that God is allowing us to notice what he does for us. The tsarech, the need, brings us to the hoda'a, the modim, the moda'ani, right? Moda means two things. It means to acknowledge, to recognize, and it means to thank. If you don't notice, if you can't notice it, acknowledge it, recognize it, you can't thank for it. You don't know it exists. Okay? If every path was smooth, you see it, you see an example of it in last week's Parsha. It says that, that we walked for a journey of three days' journey, and the clouds of glory went before us, seeking a place of menucha for us. We didn't know all the mountains that were flattened. We didn't know all the valleys that were raised, all the scorpions that were cleared away. We just didn't even know about it. And we're like complaining we didn't have the right food. Yeah? The fact that we sometimes need... That we, that we need allows us to notice that God provides the need. That's Sha'as Ali Kaltzarki. Thank you for making me need, and thank you for providing for the need, both. That because of that, I can thank you. If I didn't know that I needed it, I wouldn't notice you gave it to me. So the recognition leads me to the gratitude. I think that is like a, that is a very whole place. I think we'll stop here for this week. And next week in Hashem, we'll finish off the year, school year, um, and talk a little bit more about the influence of the shoes and when we do, when we don't, why, why we'd go one way or the other. <coughs> Which is, um, I, think, I think, a pretty awesome, awesome topic and also helps us understand better a lot of different places in Torah and why they played out as they did. So, Thank you so hope, much. I hope everyone can make it next week. I know it's like a funny schedule, the last day of school. But Is it? I mean, it's it's right. the last day of school, but they start on time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's a good way to, um, I hope yeah, so. so.